don't live in a culture of blessing, we live in a culture of hashtag blessed. Partially nude bikini shot, hashtag blessed. Christmas card professional photo shoot where everyone's looking directly at the camera wearing matching chambray tops, hashtag blessed. So we have yet another familiar text before us again today. Uh, in another place I visited just two weeks ago when I was in Israel and Palestine. So I thought I'd begin again with some images. As long as I got them, why not show them? So, uh, and I personally find it helpful to place ourselves here geographically, maybe have a sense uh, of a picture in our minds what this looks like because location matters. So the first is a map. A picture where you can see the Sea of Galilee and some of the cities around it, right? You can kind of see, I know it's kind of hard to see on some of these screens, particularly where I'm standing, it's hard to see, but you can sort of see, uh, you can see Tiberius down there on the bottom corner, that's your left. I'm, I'm gonna have to do this, <laughs> this is gonna be a challenge. I didn't, I didn't plan this part. Uh, on the left side, you see Tiberius, uh, kind of right at the very top, you can see Capernaum in that area up there. I mean, get it, just an idea. So we're going to zoom in a little bit. And there you get, you see the little um, Capernaum on the, the left side. And you see right above, above it is the Mount of Beatitudes. Now, it's an eight-minute car ride right now, like today, if you were to do the drive today to, from Capernaum to the Mount of Beatitudes. Really short, easy drive. Um, but a walk might take you just right up the city, up the hill. Uh, and I want to be clear that it says mountain in the story, but it's not really a mountain. It's a, it's a hill. It's just a hill. So uh, it's mountains in a very flat area, if it's, which it is. It's a very flat area. But you can see how close the city of Capernaum, where, remember last week I preached about Jesus choosing to live and make his home in Capernaum, how close it is to that Mount of Beatitudes. Um, this walk might take you just right up the hill if you were not taking the road around the hill. The kinda, it kind of switchbacks up there. But you can just walk right out of the city and go up a little hill. Easy, not a mountain climb, just a little hill. A nice walk, you might say. Now, there is a church built there now as sort of a monument to this place, um, which obviously wasn't there when Jesus sat on this hill to give this talk. And here is an aerial, kind of an aerial view. You can see the church, and look how close it is to the lake, to the Sea of Galilee. You can see it is just right there. This is the view you have when you sit on this Mount of Beatitudes. It's just grass and trees and flowers and parakeets. There are like green birds everywhere. Um, and, and the lake just down the valley right in front of you. Very close, much closer than I think sometimes I thought it was. In my head, I pictured it being a much bigger walk or drive. You can see how close this is to the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus sat on a hillside right there, not too far outside of Capernaum, and began to give a sermon. As I mentioned last week, he made his home in Capernaum. This is where he began his ministry. It's where he started healing, teaching, um, preaching. It's where he came out of. It's where he went back to. So it makes perfect sense that the first and earliest sermons he preached were in the hills surrounding this town. Perfect sense. And that is where we locationally find ourselves this morning. 
There is not a huge time gap, though a little one, between the text from last Sunday where Jesus calls the first disciples, makes his home in Capernaum, uh, and the text that comes in front of us today. This still is the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. He has already begun to make a name for himself by his unusual teaching and preaching. The last verse of chapter 4, which is right before this, says great crowds began to follow him all around the region of the Sea of Galilee. So this is where he is, hanging out around the sea, and this is where today's story finds us. Jesus sees a crowd and goes up the hillside to preach. So he doesn't make a trek. He just walks up the hill outside of town. Remember, that's so close. We can assume then that the crowd came along, but Matthew makes sure to note that the disciples have the front row seat to this teaching moment. Jesus always knew his audience. He knew exactly who was listening. And yes, the crowd was large, and yes, there was an outside edge to that crowd. But if Jesus didn't want everyone to hear what he had to say, he would have stayed in town where the teaching places were standing room only. And if you couldn't fit into the room or weren't welcome in that room, then you weren't going to hear what he had to say. So like I said, location matters. He went up the hill so that everybody in that crowd could hear him. The synagogue in Capernaum was not big enough for everybody who heard this sermon. So Jesus spoke to a crowd at a place where it was assured that everyone would hear what he had to say. So keep that in the back of your mind. And here's what he says when he's there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. I want to talk about blessing a little bit today. And the first thing I want to talk about, uh, if you were here on Friday as we uh, said our beautiful farewell to Marge Weldy, you heard a little bit of this. So I'm just going to... Uh, for those of you who weren't here, we had a funeral here on Friday for Marge Welly, longtime member, um, choir member, organist of this congregation. Um, she's been here for, for many years, and we said goodbye to her on Friday. One of the stories that was shared, and there were many, and they were hilarious, uh, was the one that stuck out to me the most, was because I had this story in my head already, knowing I was preaching on it today. Uh, one of her margisms, which her grandkids called them, was saying God bless you to people over and over and over again until they said thank you in response. She would just keep saying God bless you until they responded with thank you. Those around her knew that she felt it was important to say it, but it was more important to her that you heard it. Not just that she said it, but that you heard it. God bless you, she would say. Thank you, until you said thank you. I just kept thinking about Marge this weekend as I imagined Jesus amassing this large crowd and not wanting to say or do a single other thing until he made sure that the ones who were listening knew they were blessed. I'm going to say it until you say thank you. 
Now, blessed has become kind of an overused word. Thank you, hashtag blessed. It has lost some of its meaning, I think, right? We think of blessing as something equal to a reward or something we check off a list, like a recipe, which is a fine way to understand this text, but not quite right. It's not a thing we do, and then we're like, oh, got that one in, we're good. We think of blessing somehow as something God bestows upon those who are worthy. As author Kate Bowler says, we don't live in a culture of blessing, we live in a culture of hashtag blessed. Because I so value what Kate says about blessing, she has lots of books about this. Um, she has a whole book called Hashtag Blessed. Um, I'm gonna read a little essay she wrote from her book called Good Enough. Uh, because she does such a gorgeous job of reminding us what blessing really is in a culture that is trying over and over and over again to tell us something very different. I know I could have read just a shorter excerpt, but the whole thing is just lovely, and so I want to read all of it. The title of this essay is, of course, hashtag blessed. It begins with the quote I already shared. We don't live in a culture of blessing, we live in a culture of hashtag blessed. Partially nude bikini shot, hashtag blessed. Christmas card, professional photo shoot where everyone's looking directly at the camera wearing matching chambray tops, hashtag blessed. As Christians, we cross-stitch our blessings on pillows, we hand-letter them in whimsical fonts and tattoo them on our bodies, forgetting, perhaps, that Jesus turned the idea of what makes us blessed upside down. His blessings should leave some people wide-eyed and others with tears of relief streaming down their cheeks. Jesus says, blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope when you are exhausted and despairing, when tears are your food morning and night, when your stomach grumbles and your mouth is dry, blessed are you who forgives the person who never said sorry and who definitely does not deserve your forgiveness. You who are ridiculed and humiliated, left out, left behind, the timid, the soft-spoken, the one who works towards peace instead of the easy road of vengeance. So much of how we interpret these blessings depends on where we are sitting when we hear them. Location matters. Maybe we are like the respected and applauded religious leaders in Jesus' time. We've elbowed our way to the front row, or perhaps we were ushered in by privilege and birthright. We say and do the right things. Our righteousness is on full display on Instagram. Our chest puffs with pride at how well our life has worked out, our beautiful family, our comfortable bank account, our healthy body. These beatitudes should make us uncomfortable because God is celebrating who we try so hard not to be, dependent, needy, desperate. These blessings will sound quite different if you're at the back of the crowd. The one who barely feels like you belong in the first place. The one who's scared someone will find out that you don't have it all together. Jesus often taught by taking something conceptual and comparing it to something concrete. For example, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. 
To his hearers who grew up in farms and fields, this would be tactile, not just intellectual. It's a rhetorical device that doesn't need detailed notes or a tape recorder. You'd remember. In these blessings, it's like Jesus is pulling examples from the very people listening in. Blessed are you, Jamie, even when you're mourning the person you lost. Blessed are you, Sarah, even though you are struggling to find hope. Blessed are you, John, when there isn't enough to feed your family. He was looking into the eyes of those who felt like the misfits. And then he used everyday experiences of weeping, hungering, thirsting, and suffering as a badge of belonging. The left out will be welcome with a warm embrace. The forgotten will not just be remembered, but honored. The ones who don't have it all together are exactly who God is inviting into the kingdom. In fact, the whole kingdom belongs to the ones on the edges. This is the upside-down kingdom, directly available to those of us who don't have it all together. Sometimes the only thing that's possible is to bless life's every moment, even and especially the hard ones. Blessings in those moments fall like a summer rain over the driest times and places in our lives. And though a blessing seems counterintuitive in moments of grief and sorrow, that's when you need to be reminded of the presence of God the most, the God whose kingdom is available to all of us. The world looks a bit strange from here, upside down, but maybe it's how it's supposed to be, our feet firmly rooted in heaven. Believe it or not, I had named my sermon Upside Down Blessings before I read that blessing, and I was like, okay, God, got it, I got it. It was right there in front of me again, and it felt like a sign. Nothing in the kingdom of God that Jesus is preaching and teaching about is going to feel like the way the world does it. It didn't then, and it still does not now. Upside-down blessings still apply today. We still need to hear them. Every year we get a version of these stories every year in every gospel. Jesus will say it over and over and over again until we hear him. Because no matter how often we hear it otherwise, we still assume that blessing is a reward we have earned by being good and right. We still think some people are more worthy of blessing than others. No matter how often we hear it from God, I'm so thankful we have this reminder that the way the world says we are blessed is not how God says we are blessed. Not at all. Blessing in this story, in one of the first sermons Jesus gave, is brought back to what it always was meant to be. Blessing is about Jesus seeing us, seeing who we really are, all of us, collectively and individually. The parts of ourselves we try to hide or don't think are good enough, the parts and people in our community who we pretend are not there. Jesus uses these blessings to bring people back to each other, 
to bring us back to ourselves. Jesus sees us, names us, blesses us. Blessing isn't a result of some kind of right action or something we earn. Blessing is a naming of a thing that already is. Wherever you fall on this list of blessings, you are seen and known and loved. Through Jesus, through this early moment in his ministry where he had to tell us who we are before he could say anything else, through these blessings, God is seeing and naming and including all of you, including all of me and all of us, into the promise of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And not just the kingdom of God that we'll get to someday when we die, the kingdom of God that is here right now. This is radical and wild and gorgeous. And of course, it could only happen on a lush hillside with birds and flowers and the seascape below it. Of course. So obviously, we're going to practice this today. As Paul comes up, I'm going to read a blessing from Kate that she wrote to go with this essay. And then, because I don't think we can ever stop hearing how blessed we are, we're going to try it together. So, Prince of Peace, this is a challenge by choice. Consent in all things. You do not have to do this, okay? You do not have to. And you have two choices outside of the not having to. So maybe three choices. One is you don't have to do it. The other two, um, I'm going to be up here. Melissa Johnson's going to be up here. We're going to have this beautiful little container of anointing oil. You can come forward and receive a blessing. You can be reminded with words that you are so blessed by God. God loves you. You are good. You are enough. You are loved. There's a little sacred frankincense in this oil. Just a little. It's a big thing of olive oil. The rest is just a tiny drop of incense. If you don't like smells, you can say that. It's fine. We will anoint you. We will bless you without it. You don't need oil to do that. It's fine. Uh, but I don't really like a lot of scents, and I'll tell you this is not that strong. Um, when we put it, you can hold your hands out like this. Or you can hold your hands like this, and we'll put a cross on your palm or on the top of your hand, however you want it. Again, challenge by choice. And then as you walk back, I want you to rub the oil in and smell that blessedness as you leave this space that is purposeful. So we're not just blessed when we're in here. We're blessed as we leave. We're blessed as we go about our daily activities, about the errands and the mundane, all of those things. It comes with us. Number two, while you are sitting, waiting, observing the blessings being offered, maybe you choose not to, maybe you've gotten yours and now you're wondering what to do as you sit here. Sing, of course. But also, I'd like to encourage you to take out your phone. I know, gasp. Everybody says don't take your phone out in church, but I'm telling you to take your phone out and send a blessing to someone in your life. Tell them via text, via email, Make a note on your phone and then call them later. Tell them they are a blessing to you, that you are thankful for them, that you see them for all of who they are and all of who they are is a blessing. Write anything you want. 
and send it. Blessings matter. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, until they say thank you. Blessed am I when I lose sleep over what troubles me, when my worries keep me watching the clock tick by, when I have no energy to do anything but fret, the kingdom of God is here and now. Blessed am I when I am drowning in grief, when wave after wave crashes over me, when I start to feel okay and then something reminds me of what I've lost and I'm pulled under once again. God promises to comfort me. Blessed am I when I feel silenced and afraid to speak up, when I am forgotten and left out, when I feel small and feel as though my work, my presence, my the whole world is mine. Blessed am I when I am starving for justice, when the world around me feels so unfair I could scream, but no one seems to be listening, no one seems to care. May justice flow like a river. Blessed am I when someone hurts me, when I feel offended and I don't return insult with insult. Instead, I forgive recognizing the number of times I've needed to be forgiven. Blessed am I when I strip away all the extra, when I see the world as it really is, broken and tender and fragile and beautiful. These are the same eyes that see God in everything too. Blessed am I when I take the hard road, the winding one that doesn't opt for the shortcut of rage or resentment or unkind words, that doesn't pave over with trite niceties, but walks towards peacemaking, for I am God's kid. Blessed am I when I face hardships of all sorts, insults, hurt feelings, lies, vindictive neighbors. Why is loving your actual neighbor so hard, God? Blessed am I when I work to usher in God's kingdom of love and compassion and justice and forgiveness and peace, even when it's hard. Blessed are we, the imperfect and don't have it all together. We are God's beloved. All right, so if you had the anointing on your hands, I just want to take a second and smell that. Smell that reminder of your blessedness as you go out into the world that needs to be reminded that they are already blessed just as you are already best blessed. I cannot even talk anymore. The world is going to tell you something very different as soon as you step out of these doors, right? It's about what you do how good you are, the rules you followed, did follow, did you do it right? Did you do it good enough? Are you good enough? Everything is going to tell you the opposite of what you were just told today. So breathe it in like the very air around you. You are blessed. You are good already right now, just as you are. You are good enough. God loves you. And then our role when we go is to go into a world and be that blessing to others to look at the people on the edge of the crowd who feel like they are not worthy and there is no way they are loved and to say, you are loved, you are worthy, you are good. So do we take our belovedness, our blessedness with us as we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.